everybody? We're switching things up this week. It's Tyler here and Matt. And we got Dakota Bear and the podcast over here. And we have a special guest. We met him at Nashville Tour Stop. It's a great uh, writer's around here in Nashville that happens every Sunday night. His name is Steve Grawberger. He uh, is a great guy. He's been in Nashville since the late 80s. Matt, what else do you have to say? He's a Nashville OG. He's a cool-ass dude. Uh, definitely somebody different from the previous guests that we've had on here. And what I love about going to a writer's round like the Nashville Tour Stop over at Belcourt Taps is that you never know what you're going to get. It's like a box of chocolates. You never know who you're going to see, what you're going to hear. Yeah. And we went to watch some some younger artists. And well, some SJ younger was so- there. That's yeah. who we went and watched. Yep, SJ was playing there. We got to see some... Some young up and coming songwriters, and we saw this guy Steve Grawberger sitting at the end. Of, he was in the last stool. He was the last guy in the round, and then he's like, "All oh, these kids, I got to pull out the Tim McGraw cut." And we're like, "Oh shit, this yeah. guy's got a Tim McGraw cut!" And he pulls out "Give It to Me Straight" off the uh, "Not a Moment Too Soon" record uh, that featured the big hit "Indian Outlaw" from back in the nineties. Uh, and man, he was cool, and he was cool enough to come on with us. Oh yeah, he's a great dude. Um, he's a lawyer here in town. You know, he lives a regular life and stuff. But he is an amazing writer. Um, I haven't heard anything of his yet that I'm just like not in love with. So, oh, and speaking of stuff, that at the end of the episode, as you know, we always do a song of the week, and uh, this week's song was uh, Steve Grauberger with "Yes It Does, Yes It Did, Yes It Does," which was which is an awesome song. Yeah, and he had played it over at Belcourt as well. And uh, we'll do this part like we normally do. Uh, we're about to get ready to go in the round with Steve Grauberger, Tyler. Hit that damn music because I don't know where the button is. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the In the Round podcast. You got Matt, Tyler, the whole crew here, and we got a special guest with us for this episode, episode nine here on In the Round. And uh, it's a guy that I would refer to as a Nashville OG because you've been here for a hot minute. It's Mr. <laughs> Steve Grauberger. Steve, how you doing? Doing great, man. Happy Monday. Yeah. Now, what's a typical weekend for you look like as a writer? Because I'm sure you're playing gigs and doing all kinds of different things. Well, I actually don't get to play out as much as I want to. Um, I've got a five-year-old and an eight-year-old boy at home. Uh, so my weekend's usually collapsed or chasing them around. But... Uh... You know, yeah, you I, got, I, I do as much music as I can. Okay, okay. So you've been here for a hot minute. You've been here for what year? Did, what year did you get inside the city limits of Nashville, Tennessee? I moved here in 1988. Damn. Yeah, 88. That's seven years before I was even born. <laughs> not, I'm not trying to be that guy. For making I'm not me feel, trying to be you that are guy's that guy thing. now. <laughs> you are that asshole. I know it. All right. No. <laughs> Um, so what was Nashville like, 1988? What brought you here? Where'd it, you come from? It was completely different. I'm, I'm originally from Kansas City, and uh, I had actually, I had quit college after two years and went on the road with rock bands for a couple of years. Any any uh, any no. story? No, okay. nobody nobody you've heard of. Plenty of stories. But okay, not not that I probably want to share. Okay, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I had a blast. But I I, I actually woke up one morning. In a hotel, I was like 21, and I was playing with guys that were like 10 years older than me who had no skills other than that. Yeah. And they were getting too old to be doing that. And I thought, man, that's me in 10 years, and that's, that ain't going to work. So I, I wound up uh, enrolling at MTSU to get a music business degree. Okay. And moved to Nashville and 
hated country music at the time, was uh, planning on getting my degree and scooting off to L.A. Um, but while I was there, the two years I was finishing up college, I learned about country music and learned uh, to appreciate a lot of it and the songwriting and, and the craft of it. And I never left. So for you, being a, being a rocker, going into country music at the time in 88 i'm trying to think of that was that was right before that was like right as garth was getting started in that realm because that's how people date country music they do like a bg and an ag before garth after garth i've I've actually got a garth story but no shit really (laughs) yeah but uh i i yeah as i was it was actually i think garth was probably 90 when he Okay. First came out. So try to think who was who was big in town in yeah. 1988. Well, I didn't know anybody. Okay. I didn't know the artists. I didn't know the. I, I really didn't know the genre. I, you know, it was uh, you know, twang and hee haw. You know, yeah. before that to me. Um, but I started listening to the radio as I as I started to hear some things. You know, oh well, that's pretty cool. And uh, I just started making lists of the people that. You know, or if I heard a song, it's like, oh, that's that's kind of cool, and I'd write it down. And uh, I had a buddy of mine that he was big into country music. That was all he did. And I'd sit down with him and go, okay, who who sings this? Who sings this? And the first list I sat down with him, I had like twenty songs on it, but there were only four artists. It was uh, George Strait, who I love to this day, uh, Randy Travis. Conway Twitty and Foster and Lloyd. Now Foster and Lloyd's the only one that I haven't heard of, and that might—that's my—that's me being a damn Yankee well, from New York. Maybe well, not. Well, you need to check them out. They—they—they okay. they, they kind of bridged that gap for me. They were um, Radney Foster, uh, who went on to a solo career uh, in the '90s, uh, and Bill Lloyd, and uh, just—it's—it was a nice mix of pop and country. Uh, had a lot of roots, like Everly Brothers kind of thing okay. going on. Uh, but really cool stuff and really good songs. So I just looked it up. Uh, Keith Whitley was really big that year, okay. 1988. So, so that was that that era of yeah. country music. So for you, now when you say rock, are you coming? So we've we've all seen recently, um, myself, Dakota Bear, and Tyler over here, we watched, have you watched that Motley Crue document, or movie? The, uh, I have the not. Dirt? So for us, that's what that's what's fresh in our minds of like that late eighties, early nineties, like rock and roll life. So were you like the hair band rock and roll? I was kind of like right before the hair band. It was it was the Night Ranger. Oh, uh, okay. That that era. uh, I mean, my hair was down to here. Okay. And uh, you know, had the two earrings, the big dangly things. So and, to get from that to to Keith Whitley, and I love I love both yeah, both styles of absolutely. music like that. To your transition into Nashville, that must have been a process for you. Well, it was you know, I was in college, so there yeah. were still plenty of you know friends that were total rockers and, yeah. and all that. But you know, as you kind of get into the music circles. You know, country's what's done here. Yeah. I mean, there's always, since I moved here, there's always been, you know, pockets of of rock bands or, you know, whatever else is going on. But it's country music. I mean, that's that's what this town lives on. Yeah. So what did Broadway look like in 1988? Uh, Or was that a place you stayed away from? Yeah, I really didn't go down there. Um, The... 
the one thing I remember is is Demumbrian there at the head of Music Row. When I first moved to town, it was all tourist shops. They had a uh, a wax museum. They had a car museum. Um, Barbara Mandrell had a big store. Because uh, I went one one day, I took one of my friends from school, and I said, "We're going up there, and we're doing everything there." Yeah. <laughs> you know, all the tourist things. And I mean, you know, we spent ridiculous amount of money for college kids. Yeah. You know, and and most of it was kind of hokey, and but hey, I did it. You know. But it was the biggest change I've seen in in Nashville is when I when I moved here. Music Row really was Music Row. It was small houses, it was publishing companies and record labels, all kind of intertwined, and the community was just real tight knit. Yeah. And in the '90s, after Garth hit, don't let me skip the story. Oh, I want Garth. to hear that story. <clears throat> but you know, when Garth and Vince Gill and Reba and all everything just exploded. It started turning corporate. And I remember, I think ASCAP was the first one to tear down the house and build the big building. And just one by one, it, it started and it just, uh, it lost it lost something. I mean, for me. Yeah. You know, that, um, that community started pulling apart. And now it's like most of the record labels aren't even on the row anymore. No, they're all scattered yeah, throughout downtown midtown, yeah. or midtown and even out in Brentwood and stuff like that. Yeah. So whenever you said the head of the mummy, you talking about where like tailgate and where the naked statue is. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Like, there's, a, na- there's a naked statue. Or maybe yeah. I just haven't looked at it closely. Yeah. There's like eight or nine naked people in the middle yeah. of a circle right there where the Mumbrian before you get like yeah, oh, the, the circle. Yeah, yeah, okay. the, yeah, the, yeah. the big yeah. ugly naked lizard people looking oh, thing. Oh, those people. Yeah. <laughs> so, but you're talking about like where like that. I on, call it the, on down towards the interstate where all the bars are now. Yeah, yeah, that's what yeah. I'm talking about. That used to be just tourist shop after tourist shop. Uh, and now it's bar after bar yeah. after bar. Wow. Yeah, and then condo after condo. Yes, yeah. Which for you, the population growth. I mean, was Nashville Crazy. a small – was was it considered like a small town, a small city at that point? Or? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I came from Kansas City, and it was much smaller than Kansas City at the time. And, I mean, it's just exponential growth. I, I saw a, a picture the other day of the Nashville skyline from 2011 to now, yeah. and it's like three times the – all these skyscrapers and they're and, and they're building more and more there's yeah. constant cranes everywhere i mean when i moved here the batman building wasn't here you know you were here before the batman building. yeah the lnc oh, tower wow. was like the tallest building down there now you can't even freaking see it yeah and like i know i moved here in 2013 and to me coming from a really small town in alabama that you know had six streets and didn't have a post office anymore in a little tiny school you know like it still had that very small town vibe for me in 2013. You know, I felt like I could transition here a lot easier than saying going to like Atlanta or going to, you know, Charlotte or DC or, you know, any of those like major, yeah, bigger New York, cities. LA, like Nashville yeah. to me still felt like it was a smaller thing and the musicians still kind of all knew of each other. Like there wasn't no like, oh, do you know this guy? No, I've never heard of them. Like, a lot of times, it's like, once you, like, made a thing, like, people started talking about you, like, everybody knew. It was still a very tight-knit community. Yeah, it ain't that now. It's, it's, no. Yeah, no, it's... 
It's a lot. So you said you're from Kansas City. So I got to ask the uh, the B word down here: barbecue. Kansas City is one of the staples. It, it and is the, the mother in, church. Uh, yeah, you've lived in Tennessee <laughs> for a while. Yeah. Will you admit that Tennessee maybe does barbecue better than Kansas City? Uh, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> Tennessee does barbecue very different from, from okay. Kansas City. It's, it's it's more pork down here. Kansas City's mostly beef. Okay. Uh, even their pork barbecue is different than pork barbecue down here. So they're, they're kind of apples and oranges to me. Um, there's some... Barbecue places down here I love, yeah. But when I go to Kansas City, there's places I have to go. There's places you have. Yeah, okay. there's yeah. like you have to. So what's some of the ones you love around here? Um, Stroud's down in uh, Franklin is probably my favorite. We might have to go check that. Oh, out. Oh, they're good. Yeah, I haven't had that one yet. It's, off, yeah. it's off of uh, Franklin Road, I think. Okay, okay. and it's uh, it's awesome. That's All right. awesome. Yeah, we'll we'll have to check that one out. And then Kansas City for barbecue. If we ever find our way to Kansas City, where's our must spot that we got to go to that Steve is like, he can't go to Kansas City yeah, and not run go the here. list. There's Bryant's Barbecue, uh, which has the best beef you will ever put in your mouth. All right. I mean. I'm going to hold you to that. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's, uh, it was for years, and they've got, a, I, think, I think there's two, two stores now. But the original one was like in the hood, and you sometimes know. that's where the best places oh, are. Yeah, it's just yeah, in the, yeah. Yeah. that's always it's, where it's, the best places yeah. are. I mean, for Nashville with hot chicken, you know, it's Prince's and Bolton's. Like, yeah, they're <laughs> yeah. both places that I wouldn't go after night. Yeah, and this that's that's where this kind of okay. place was, and they, their sauce is like a vinegar paste. Okay, and they had used to have these big, giant glass bottles of it, like sitting in the window fermenting and you know doing their thing and you walk through the line and the guy didn't have a glove and he's grabbing big chunks of meat you know but it was awesome but it was just that good yeah yeah what, 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 what would you recommend ordering in there uh just a beef sandwich man just a beef sandwich uh, now, is that considered beef brisket or is that just beef is kansas city beef it's it thing? is it is a brisket okay. but it's yeah you don't say brisket you nah. just say give me the beef yeah Okay. Yeah. If we ever end up in Kansas City, we got to go. Oh, you oh, got yeah. to. Got to go check got it out to. for sure. Now, the songwriting stuff. So, you, did you? Come, so when did you start being like? So, you were out on the road doing the doing the rock stuff. Yeah. Come back, do the music business thing. When was it? Hey, I want to do this writing thing. I can get behind this. I want to do this. It actually, I had played with it a little bit, uh, but really sucked at it. Um, and uh, actually, uh, towards the end of. Uh, College. I guess I had graduated, and uh, my girlfriend at the time started fooling around with one of my very good friends, and uh, songwriting became my catharsis through that, my way of dealing with it. Okay. Um, and uh, and I just kept doing it. Uh, it was yeah. So I mean, you know, broken heart got me writing. That's that's one of yeah. the one of the big three of country music, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, and for me, you know, that's the same way how I got started, you know, was just as a way of being able to express, you know, what I was feeling and stuff. Hey, you just got to vent yeah. it. You got to vent know? it. Like, I grew up an only child in a very small town where there was not many more people to talk to, um, especially, like, on a deep level of what, you, you know, a lot of times you write on about that stuff. And uh, so writing was my only place to go to where I could, you know, say – Hey, I need to say this, but I have nobody to talk to. Right. But I can write it. You know, the the thing thing for me uh, back then when I was first starting to write, I mean, there's to me, there's two parts to 
being a good rider. There's, you know, the art side, which I think kind of you either have it or you don't. And then there's the craft of, you know, how do I construct this, you know, rhyme schemes, you know, um, just coherent thought patterns, you know, that kind of stuff. I think you can just learn the mechanics of over time. But back then, I didn't really have that much to say. And it's one of the things that blows me away of, like, hanging out at Belcourt. And there's all these 20-year-olds up there yeah. that are writing some damn good songs. Yeah. And I'm like, I didn't have jack shit to say when I was 20. Yeah. And now, 53, I've got a lot to say. I just don't have the time to say it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. How is that for you balancing when you were saying you've got you've got the, the boys, you've got the kids at home and stuff, and you're and you're, you're doing that, and you're... Well, I've got that, and something I, I don't think you guys know, because we haven't, you know, really yeah, well, chatted yeah. much. Uh, I'm a lawyer. You're a, law- so a lawyer. You're, so you're Actually, working as a... I saw that. Oh, did a little you? bit of research before the episode. <laughs> ah, okay. I did see that. So you worked as a so you so you work as a lawyer, your father, and you're still doing the music thing. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. That's that's hustle. Like to be to be keeping up with all that. Well, it's you do what you got to do. <laughs> I mean, that's the mentality. It seems like of this town. Well, like, and it's you know I do what you got to do. Yeah, I mean, I went through. I wrote full time for seven years. Starved to death most of it. And did some production and played, you know, here and there. And had the Tim McGraw thing. Uh, was lucky enough to have a song on his first huge album. Yeah. Um, which was amazing. But, uh, and then nothing else happened, you know, for me as a writer at that time. And uh, I got tired of being broke and turned my, I first turned myself into an accountant. Uh, I didn't have any training. I just was good with numbers and yeah. faking my way through it, I guess. But uh, and got wound up getting hired by uh, Balmer Entertainment, which was owned by Ann Murray, the Canadian singer from the '70s. That I'm sure you don't know who she is. Um, you can look her up later. Okay, uh, <laughs> she was actually huge in the '70s. Oh, I'm sure. Um, and. Uh, I got hired as an accountant and then got promoted to director of finance and business affairs, and I was handling all their licensing and legal work. So I started going to law school at night to figure out what in the hell I was doing. And lo and behold, I became a lawyer. Damn. I had no idea. Yeah. That, that's, that's, really, that's really cool and interesting to hear and stuff. So those, you said for about seven years you were, you were writing and that was your, your occupation. Yeah. What was that seven-year stretch? What timetable? Uh Ninety to, yeah, pro- well, probably ninety, ninety-one to ninety-eight. So that's a big era for country music. That's the stuff that yeah that we that we had grown up on. And what was so cool about and I had again we when we saw you at Belcourt Taps, we had we had no idea. We we just kind of popped in there, knew some people that yeah. were on the round, and. Then we heard you pull out the pull out, and you're like, "Oh, I gotta pull out the big guns for all these kids. All these kids are playing this because yeah. they were kicking my ass." Yeah, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna make me pull out the Tim McGraw cut, and then you started playing. Give it to me straight, and it was and it was awesome, and yeah. it was cool because Tim McGraw is actually the guy that I grew up listening to. Like my grandmother, Ford wins ninety nine Ford Windstar. I was listening to the first greatest hits album of Tim McGraw, which which had Indian Outlaw on it and had a lot of had a lot of. Um, the big hits from from that era, yeah, and 
to hear that, I was like, holy shit, of course, this is Nashville. <laughs> you walk in, you have no you, and you just pull it out. And it's, yeah. it's also, what was that process like of just being being in that 90s country scene? I mean, that's the era of the big hair, the big personalities, yeah. the the... Yeah, the white Yoakum doing his thing. You have Travis Tritt, you have Reba, Shania it, Faith. It was Tim. it was it was amazing. Um the just the whole environment yeah. in Nashville at that time. Um you know, that that song was just a gift from the heavens. Um wrote it with a buddy of mine, Reese Wilson, uh, who's not in town anymore, but he had and he went on and had a bunch of number ones and, and hell of a writer. Um but we actually wrote that song in 45 minutes. Wow. That's it? That's it. And uh, I had I had the idea of, you know, give it to me straight, talking about George Strait. Yeah, I saw that straight, so that's... Yeah. Okay. You know, and so it was an idea of, okay, a guy's sitting in a bar, brokenhearted, and all he wants to hear is George Strait songs. And uh, so we sat down and, you know, we actually made a list of every George Strait song we could think about, you know, or think of. And constructed the chorus basically out of that, and uh, you know, and then built the verses, and and it was one of those. It just came too easy, and and we knew we had something. Where I mean, were you guys when you wrote it? Uh, at, at Reese's apartment. You were just in the apartment, yeah. just hanging out. Yeah, and I mean, we finished it, and we're both like, "Oh shit, this is good," <laughs> <laughs> you know. And uh, my my wife at the time. Uh, Two wives ago, uh, <laughs> uh, was my was my publisher, uh, yeah. and uh, you know we, I went I went said you got to hear this, and she flipped out, and Reese was writing for uh, James Stroud's company Hamstein, he went and played it for them, and and we had it demoed within a week, um, and they were pitching it everywhere, and. Uh, Reese actually happened to to know Byron Gallimore, who was co-producing Tim's album at the time, and he liked it. You know, he thought it was a cool song and played it for Tim. And Tim called uh, Hamstein, Reese's publisher, and said, "Hey, I want to put this on hold." And they said, "No." <laughs> Tim had had one album out before. I think he had one single off of it that you know didn't do anything. Yeah. And they were like, no, we're not putting it on hold for you because you know, we know this is a great song. And they were chasing everybody with it from Garth to Tracy Bird was real hot yeah. at the time. Clint Black, although he only cut his own stuff. Um, you know, they were hitting everybody and nothing ever materialized. And Tim was calling every week asking them to hold that song for him. And they kept saying no. And uh, it got to where Tim was recording his album. And we hadn't gotten it cut, and they cut it. And thank God they did. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it was a trip because I I was broke as I've ever been in my life at that time when they were recording it, and I was this close to selling my publishing. I we had the cut. We we're waiting for the album to come out, and I was I was just. I had an offer, and I was literally about to accept it to sell my publishing for ten grand. Wow! And uh, my my co writer Reese, God love him to this day. He uh, he told me he said, Steve, I know you're hurting, but if you can hang on, hang on, because if this if if he pops, you're gonna hate yourself. Yeah. 
And uh, I listened to him and hung on. And Indian Outlaw came out and just exploded the first single off of that album. And the album was released. We were number one album on the Billboard album chart. Not just country, but just all genre. All, all genre. Wow. For 26 weeks. That doesn't, that's, yeah, that Crazy. doesn't happen. Crazy. It's almost half a year. It is a yeah, half a year. Yeah, that is exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> a half a year. Yeah, number one album in the country. And, uh, you know, we sold uh, over six million copies of that album. And we weren't a single. We were. They told us at one point we were going to be the third single. And then we got bumped. And we were going to be a fourth single. And then we were going to be a fifth single. And then we were going to be a sixth, but they didn't go sixth. And, uh, you know, it, it would have been great because they made a lot more money. Um, but how, do, how does that work? Because I'm, I don't understand all this. I don't have a music <laughs> business degree. I'm, I'm a radio guy that moved down here and just doesn't doesn't know what happens. The song, so your songs on the record, the big the singles that are off the record are what people are hearing on the radio. They're like, oh, I like that. They're going to yeah. go out. They're going to buy the record. How does that come back to you and whatnot in a music well, business sense? Back in that day, yeah, it's um, all changed because um, nobody buys records that's anymore. Very true. Yeah, um, but. You know, you you licensed your song to the to the label in this case Curb, and and they had to pay, you know, a royalty rate, a mechanical royalty for each album that was sold, each physical copy that was sold. They were, I think, at that time it was like nine and a quarter cents, something like that, for each song, and it got divided between the publishers. Um, you know, but I mean, four and a half cents times six million doesn't suck. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, for forty-five minutes work, and then, but if you're single, you know, and you're getting the radio airplay, you're getting money from ASCAP and BMI that is for performance money, and you know, back then, you know, a, a single, a number one single, which all of his were going number one, would have been worth another probably quarter million dollars, uh, which would have been great, you know. Yeah. But I found out actually years ago, years later, and I don't know if it's true. If it's, if it's not, it probably should be. Um, but that the reason we got bumped and didn't get released as a single was that Mike Curb, who owned you know Curb Records, uh, didn't want to put out a single promoting another label's act. Oh, and, okay. Uh, you know, I don't know if that's true or not. I'll I'll, I'll accept it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they also, while they were recording it, were trying to get George Strait in to sing one line of the bridge. Oh, and that would have which been... would have guaranteed a single, guaranteed oh, yeah, a single, and, and quite a bit more. Probably yeah. a classic. Because the the bridge of the song is there ain't one country singer that ain't good for a bad heartache, but for me, there's nothing smoother than a good stiff shot of straight. And they yeah. were going to have George sing that first line. Yeah. And but it didn't happen, and you know, life goes on. Now, how old are you when uh, when when you guys write that one? Uh, that would have been ninety four, so I was twenty eight. You were twenty eight, so yeah. you were well into the songwriting. You were well into writing. I was, still wasn't was that thing. good, to be honest. I mean, I, I that was um, that was way above where I was. I mean, it really was. That's why I say it was just a, a gift from the gods. Reese was a great writer back then. Um, you know, but, uh, um, yeah, it, it just, it was a gift. That one was a gift from, from the atmosphere, from God, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> I'm happy it came my way. 
um, I had a professor in college, and I think I've said this on the podcast before, but he said, you know, a lot of times whenever you get in a room with a, another writer, you know, the words are there. They're in the, you know, air and stuff. And our job as a writer is to kind of pull them out and put them to paper, put them to a medium that, you know, that we can express over and over again to somebody else. And he goes, you know, sometimes the words are great and sometimes lightning strikes and all the words line up and yeah. stuff like that happens. Yeah. And he's like, and sometimes it's not, but don't ever let go of the ones that weren't because they're going to lead to the lightning strike. Yeah, they do. And, and you know, it's it's funny, too, because I've been doing on my music page on, on Facebook, I play a little 20-minute concert every Wednesday night. And I uh, have gone back and dug out some of my old songs that I thought were crap back then, you know. And, and I think mainly because I didn't have the ability to communicate them well. And I've played some on you know my show and get great response out of them now. Yeah, because now years later I have experienced that. Yeah, you know <laughs> it's something. There's something to be said for probably living through. Yeah, it's just the perspective of that life gives you, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So now, I mean, country music's very different today than it was in in the '90s and and '88 when you were first coming coming into town and things like that. What are your thoughts on like all the collaboration, like the collaborations of styles that are out there now? To to what you're, what somebody like say the 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 big term that people use that bro country, which I found out through Tyler actually means bro is in terms of Broadway as opposed as opposed to like frat brother. That's how he had explained it to me. It was basically it was a trend of what Broadway was doing at the time, not exactly the the frat brother thing. But from that style to say what guys like Stapleton, where there's more soul coming through, but then you also have that '90s country feel with with a guy like Luke Combs, like how? What are your thoughts? Yeah, on that? I mean, you know, music's always going to evolve. It's and you know, and you're not always going to like it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know? absolutely. That's why there's so many different styles yeah. out there. There's so. But for I everyone. mean, even you know, even now, I like everything from classical to jazz to rock to country to Christian to you know, I like good music. Um, you know, I I love George Strait and I love Nirvana. Yeah, you know, I mean, <laughs> two complete opposites yeah. that were popular at the same time. You know, time. but I have an appreciation for both of them. You know, they're they're both were exceptional at what they did. Yeah, you know, and uh, you know it, it. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff I don't like out there. You know, I, I'd love to see some more women getting things going especially uh, from what we see what we're seeing at the at those oh writers God, rounds yes. and you're you're out in midtown especially a place like Belcourt Taps yeah one of those places where one of our guests that we had on a couple episodes ago we had SJ uh, McDonald yeah. on and SJ's kicking ass right now and you see what like well, I'm like writing this, with in a, oh, uh, another week or so oh awesome yeah. yeah badass can't wait to see what comes she, out of that uh, one yeah it's like she, she's what 20 she turns 20 today's actually her birthday that's right that's right yeah um, but I mean and that voice, oh my God, the girl can sing. And there's her. and there's so many girls and just young acts in general yeah. that are that are really are really leaving a mark on this town. Yeah, and it's it's you know I know at some point they're gonna you know start funneling in, you know, and it, it's there's always been that 
I mean, you know, country music's generally male heavy. It's male heavy, and a lot of that, having come from that radio background, is demographics of radio. Yeah. Country radio is, is female 18 to 34, 25 to 54, if you're looking at like a Nash icon or something. You're looking to get soccer moms listening. That's, right. You go to a country show, it's a nine-to-one ratio. But I think now in, the, in, this, you know, in this new world where nobody's buying anything, yeah. you know, I think there's room for a lot of different Absolutely. things. Absolutely. It's very big experimentation. It's, yeah. it's huge of different and styles. To me, it's very reminiscent what I'm starting to see because I'm happy to see that some of the more traditional acts are starting to make some marks. And, you know, um, even in a maybe a contemporary package, you know, Luke yeah. Combs to me. He is, is ninety, tr- very nineties, yeah. very cool. much. I you mean, know, that's my sweet yeah. spot. It's yeah. like, all right. And you got like the Midland coming out, yeah. And then Midland, who's Tim t- Tim yes. McGraw's taken under his wing yeah. big time, and had to go out on the road and that that style, that electric rodeo sound. But it's all very reminiscent to me of what pop music was doing in the seventies, where you had, you know, the Almond Brothers and Jim Croce and all, you know, all these different styles. You know, John Denver and, you know, but it all worked because it was just damn good music and people liked it. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, for sure. And um, so now for you as a, as a writer today, um, what's is there a different mindset for you being where you are now and seeing what's going on in the world around you, and not only in Nashville, but your personal life, to what you were doing as a... And when your occup- main occupation was, I'm Steve, the songwriter. Right, I, right. I'm, I'm here in town in the 90s to Steve Yeah, it's, it's my attitude. I, and I quit writing for about probably 10 years. Um, I just, when I you know, got into law school and practicing law and it just was very consuming and just a lot for sure. Yeah. Just kind of put the music aside for a few years. And, uh, um, I don't know, probably four or five years ago, um, actually met a small publisher here in Nashville, Melissa Balea, who's also a good writer. And, uh, we met on, uh, LinkedIn and she sent me a message and, we just started kind of chatting back and forth, and she just kind of encouraged me to get back into it. And uh, I realized that, you know, I enjoy music. It makes me happy to sit down and play yeah. and write a song and, and uh, even to go out and perform. It's always fun. and uh, But it's very freeing now. Back when I was trying to do it for a living, it was like... I gotta get this done. I gotta do something that people are gonna like, and you're chasing the tail of, uh, you know, what you think people, you know, want you to write. And at this point in my life, it's just extremely freeing to not give a damn what happens with it. You know, I I don't. I'm not writing to please anybody but me. Um, you know, I hope something happens with some of it. Yeah. You know, that'd be awesome. But if it doesn't, it's not going to change what I eat for dinner. Yeah, and the love and your passion is you get you're you're able to do what you love. Yeah, no matter what, you're able to do what you love because yeah. you're you're putting the pen to paper or typing into it. Now, are you are you still a pen to paper guy when oh, you're yeah. writing? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you're old school. Okay, yeah, yeah. I I uh, I've tried a few times doing the the notes section on the, the iPhone and things well, like that. no, I can't see good enough to use my iPhone. Oh, really? But I'll, okay. I'd sit there with my Mac. Yeah. But, it's just not the same to me. Yeah, I'm the same way. I still have notebooks upstairs, and I have 
one of my cars I keep there and I keep pins all around. Yeah. And I put pen to paper. I don't like going in an iPhone. I mean, I will, but a lot of times when I'm like, okay, this is an idea that like I want to actually finish. Yeah. Like there's a lot of times I'll get an iPhone and I'll type out an idea and it'll be maybe four lines and I'll be done with it. But then once I'm like, all right, I actually want to put this to paper. That's whenever I'm actually like going through and working with Ryan schemes and, you know, doing everything like that. Well, that's I. The only thing I use my iPhone for, I've got a little voice recorder on it, and if I'm driving down the road and I, you know, think of a little phrase or something, yeah. I'll I'll hit that and sing it into it, and then come back to it later. Yeah, I mean, the that's some, yeah. I'm still yeah. pretty low tech. <laughs> no, no, no. But but <laughs> but even today, like I've seen people that in the writers' books, they're not even writing lines; they're drawing doodles. Like they're 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 there's some kind of like artistry thing where they're. Or it just clicks where there's something about – or somebody will have a stylist and – because they don't have the pen and paper and they're still physically writing it out yeah. in their phone instead of typing it. Like there's got to be some kind of creative thing with that where people people just enjoy and just enjoy the pen to paper aspect. And, you know, uh, at least we have pen and paper. At least we're not writing down songs on a rock and chisel. You yeah. Know? Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. no that was back when I started. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So for you, what is what does good music sound like? Who are you listening to nowadays? Um, Whether it be classic from back in the day, or, or you know, it, it's it's very it's it's pretty varied. Um, I'm mostly lately I'm listening to songwriters. Um, I'm not huge on uh, you know a lot of the uh, label acts. Ed Sheeran, I love. I've really been digging him lately. Went and saw him last year in concert. Killed me. Yeah. You know, got one guy on stage just kicking ass. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, it, it's just very varied. I, I go through phases. Sometimes I just won't listen to anything. Really? Yeah. So what are you listening to? Are you just not, are you just... Sometimes it's talk radio. Sometimes okay. it's just quiet. See, I could never do that. And they, Tyler knows that he, he gives me grief. I, I, yeah. I feel like I have to talk to Phil Avoid. It might just be the Northeastern in me where yeah. just the my, quietness. My son's like that. He, uh, yeah, my eight-year-old. There's not uh, – yeah. silence is not golden in his <laughs> Someday world. Someday you'll just hear me, Matt. Shh. <laughs> I'll get that. Uh, I'll get that. And Cody, Cody uh, will do that to me too. He'll he'll let me know when um, when I've exceeded my um, like my last character night, amount for talking. Last, yeah, last, last night we were watching a movie or TV or something, and you were standing in front of the TV talking. I was like, Matt, move, sit down, shh. <laughs> Dakota's not really quiet. He just can't get a word in. <laughs> yeah. <All> right, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So for you today, what kind of what kind of song? Now, how often are you writing today? Because you're a busy guy. You got a lot going on. Yeah, it, it varies. Um, I'll go for a few months where I'm writing every week. Um, then you know I'll take a you know a month off and come back and it's really right now is more a product of uh, one time, um, but two um, the people that I'm running into because um, I you know I asked uh, saw a guy last night at Bellcourt and said hey man I want to get together and write um, I love to co-write. I think I've written maybe three songs by myself. I'm quite capable of it. Yeah. I just like that, you know, that back and forth. Um, I've written songs with somebody where I really did write a song by myself. It was just there was somebody else in the room. Yeah. You know, but... How uh, how often does that happen? Not much anymore. Um, 
because I'm, you know, I, I, I'm relatively selective, you know, about who I want to write with. I have to appreciate what they're doing, yeah. Um, you know, to to want to sit down, and uh, you know, most of the time, you know, it's it's a good good mix. Okay. Okay. Cool. Well, that's. That's something with the co-writing thing that I, I didn't know there was so much co-writing going on yeah. until I got down here. I didn't realize how much this town can – how much this town like thrives on it and when different minds get in the same room kind of thing. Yeah, but it, it's when you find that person that you can click with, it's awesome because I can throw out just the world's worst idea that can trigger something brilliant <laughs> in you, you know, and, and it's, it's cool. Yeah, now are you more a word guy, or are you more like a melody guy, or I'm, is it a little bit, a little I'm bit of everything? I'm both. Um, I I always my process is usually chorus out. You know, I'll write the chorus first, um, and most of the time, just in my creative process, the words kind of dictate the music to me. You know, it just kind of all oh, okay, that's what this should sound like, and uh, you know, but I'll usually write the chorus and then then go to the verses sometimes you know it it varies but uh uh like on my way over here i thought of a first verse really uh, yeah of a song that i don't have the chorus for oh, awesome but uh you know it uh yeah it, it most of the time I, I write the chorus you know i start with the hook write that chorus and then build the verses around it okay <laughs> i thought you were about to say something to oh, no no <laughs> I mean that that to me personally is my writing process okay. is backwards what I do. I always start kind of from the top. I'm a lyric guy, so um and a lot of what I want to do with writing is tell a story. Yeah. So I start at the beginning and go, you know. Um but yeah. That's that's a very different way, you know, I've wrote with people that write like that and a lot of times you know what you're writing about, so it does help. But um a lot of times I've wrote about that, it's been more around the hook and not telling a story. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, speaking of story, yeah. you, know, you were about to jump in. And say, oh, so I was just about to say, you know, I mean, the you know that sweet spot you're looking for is there, though, where you're doing both. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Speaking of story, that you said you had a Garth story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. So this is, I think it was 1990. It was either 89 or 90. Um and I was uh, working the country radio seminar. Oh, CRS. Awesome. Yeah. And Garth was there. His first single, Much Too Young to Feel This Damn Old, was just getting ready to come out. And uh, there was a buddy of mine. His name was Audie Teeter that uh, he and I played music all through uh, college at MTSU together. We had a little trio. Nice. And uh, – but – he was there too and we were walking down and he was from Guthrie, Oklahoma, which is where Garth is from. Yeah. And we were walking down the hall uh, at the uh, I think that I think that was at the convention center. I don't think that was out at Opryland. It may have been Opryland, but anyway. Uh hotel. And uh but anyway, we're walking down the hall just talking and all of a sudden we hear from behind us, Tater, Tater We turn around now. Audie Teeter was a twin, so, I mean, he was a pretty recognizable guy, yeah. you know, to anybody that had known him. And here comes this cowboy running down the hall towards us, and uh, he came up, hey, man, it's Garth, you know. And 
We sat, so, you know, he told us he'd gotten signed and was, you know, had his first single coming out and gave us these little buttons that said, there were, I remember, I don't think I have it anymore, but it was a little red, you know, stick pin that said, much too young to feel this damn old. He was handing out trying, <laughs> oh, to, wow. trying to get going. And uh, we talked to him, I don't know, probably 15, 20 minutes. Really sweet guy. And uh, he told us he was doing a lunch show. Uh, that day and said, y'all ought to come. Okay, well, yeah, we'll come check it out. So off he goes. Well, Audie didn't even remember him from high school. <laughs> they went to high school together. And really? He, yeah, wow. he's like, he, he didn't really remember him. But uh, uh, anyway, so we went, uh, and the, the buzz around the country radio seminar was that he was basically a Clint Black copy and wasn't going to happen. And uh, so we went to his lunch show, and they come out, and it, they're on stage, and the lighting was just like, a, you know, washes. You know, there was no light show. And they came out, and the energy that came off that stage was unbelievable. You had all these, you know, radio people, typically jaded. Yes. You know. Yeah. Were screaming by the third song. It was amazing to watch. And, uh, yeah, it was just really cool to, to witness that. Yeah. Um, and the, the neat thing too, to me, and, uh, it just in passing, you know, around music row or whatever for the next probably three, four years, you'd see, I, you know, I'd see Garth every now and then somewhere. And, uh, and that's, that was the only conversation I've ever had with a man was that 15 yeah. minutes in the hallway. But for like three or four years, whenever I'd see him, hey, Steve, how you doing? Yeah. And it's like. He remembers. He had a gift. Yeah. Oh, he's, I can tell you he still does to this day. He so had an absolute in, gift to yeah. remember names and faces. Yeah. Yeah. I'm great with faces. I'm horrible with names. Yeah. Same, same here. <laughs> same here. Absolutely. Yeah, I got to. I got to have an experience, uh, two experiences with Garth Brooks. One where I got to interview him at Yankee Stadium, which oh, was cool. cold, especially growing up a Yankees fan. And then the next one was two years later at the Prudential Center where the New Jersey Devils play, and he remembered who I was. And I'm like, I'm this little – at the time I was yeah. an intern when I first met him. How the hell do you remember me of all people? You're in New York City talking yeah. all these huge big names, and then there's this, this little intern guy. But he's just the nice – like. The nicest dude, I feel like. And he always yeah. knew, Garth always knew who put him there. Yeah. Uh, I was working the uh, CMA Awards the year he won the Horizon Award. And uh, I remember after the show, you know, everybody scatters to their parties and stuff. And my girlfriend at the time came back, the one that got me into songwriting a little later. Uh, <laughs> She she came backstage after the show, and we were talking to some people, and then we, we decided to cut through the auditorium to get over to the Opryland Hotel for that party. And we came out on stage, places completely empty, except for Garth Brooks and about 20 fans. He's standing out there talking to him, signing autographs. Yeah. You know, and it's like, he gets it. Yeah. He gets it. He always did, you know. At some point, I think he went a little crazy, but yeah, you know. yeah, no. But to <laughs> how see, could you not? Yeah, but to see what he's even doing now, like over the weekend, he had two sold out shows yeah. in Gainesville, Florida. Like he's still doing 
like he's playing. There's a whole generation. Like I never thought I would get to see being born in '95. I never thought yeah. I'd get to see a Garth Brooks concert because when he stopped was I think around like 2000, 2001, somewhere in that range, and nobody knew if he'd ever if he'd ever yeah. come back. And then he came back, and you know the cool thing back back in the day though with Garth was that he he basically put on a rock show. Yeah, oh, he put yeah. on a Kiss show. Yes. Playing country music, yeah, no, and he's quoted as saying that that that's the that's where he where he got a lot of his influence for what the live show should should sound like, and then for him it was Straight and George Jones; those were the two yeah. people, and Merle Haggard and all of that. But his show is unlike, and it's, it is like going to that rock yeah. thing. Which for you is that something that what when you look back on it, nineties country, where that was that big of a game changer? You know, yeah, and it it to me the and you know. Growing up with listening to the Beatles and, you know, all that stuff, I want life. I want larger than life stars. Yeah. You know, and it's those that wind up being that are the ones that just, you know, make a huge impact. And, uh, you know, I guess that's get back to your earlier comment about what's good, the bro country and all that. You know, so much of it is life size to me. And, uh, I don't know, you know. I, I I want larger than life. You want personalities. I do. Yeah. I do. You, you want know, that showmanship and, so, and things sometimes, like that. Sometimes it's just, you know, that, <coughs> that you're me. just a remarkably down-to-earth person. Yeah. But yeah. I still want, you know, when you walk on stage, I, I don't want to see you just stand there looking like, you know, the next guy standing in the bar down on Broadway. Yeah. You know, I want something a little more. Yeah. Which is something that I think Garth brought. Oh. Garth, Garth brought yeah. some, and then people yeah. modeled their live shows after what was coming through. Because Tim's always had a pretty good show. That was my first concert, actually. That was oh, seven, yeah? seven years old. It was the Tim McGraw and the, I think it was Dance Hall Doctors. It was when he was doing the tour, and he was playing almost every night, and he was he didn't have an opener, and he played for, kind of like what Eric Church recently did, yeah. where it was almost every night, and he played like a two and a half, three hour set and just go like that was like in his prime, that early yeah. 2000s era. And people don't always put on shows like that. But for like, a lo- that, again, that larger than life figure, like, yeah. that's, something, that's yeah. something really cool. That was there ever a part of you that wanted to do the artist thing? Or was, oh, for yeah. you, was it always the writing thing? Yeah, no, I, I actually grew up uh, wanting to be Paul McCartney. Okay, and, so big Beatles guy. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, and I, you know, I was devastated to grow up and realize they didn't need another one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I wanted that, um, you know, I had, had you know, designs on that, and, and actually when I came to Nashville... Uh, uh, the guy I mentioned before, Audie Teeter, that knew knew Garth, uh, and Reese Wilson, the co-writer on the Tim McGraw song, is also from Guthrie, Oklahoma, and ran around with Garth as a as a kid. And uh, Reese asked Audie and I to sing with him at the Bluebird when he first came to town, and we sang background harmonies. And uh, there was a guy in the audience came up at to us afterwards uh, that said, "Hey, I'm." wanting to put together a group and I want you two to you know be part of it and so we started this trio and uh, we had it was one of those things where none of us by ourselves was exceptional but the blend of the three voices was just amazing I mean it just 
worked. Yeah. And uh, we worked on that for about a year. And uh, Fred Foster, uh, who had produced the Gatlin Brothers and uh, had done a whole bunch of stuff over the years, but uh, was talking about producing us and everything was starting to line up. Yeah. And, and uh, I uh, had a friend of mine out in Los Angeles who had, He'd worked with Poco and Genesis and Patti LaBelle and Julie. I mean, all kinds of people. Yeah. And uh, he was going to manage us. And uh, the our lead singer was one – he had an alcohol problem. Um, but he was one of those guys that if he had 50 choices in front of him and only one was bad, every time. Yeah. That's the one he's going for. <laughs> and uh, the – me bringing the manager in, I put our band together and all these things was pulling control away from him. I wasn't doing it intentionally. Yeah. I didn't give a crap. You know, I was just trying to make music. And, uh, but yeah, I remember we had a, a lunch scheduled one day for the three of us and I showed up and uh, Audie was working for Glenn Campbell at the time, his publishing company. I remember walking in their office, and they were both sitting on the other side of the desk. Like, okay, this is going to be interesting. And, uh, you know, like, hey, guys. And lead singer says, uh, well, Steve, I'm glad we were getting together today because I don't like the way things are going, and I've decided I'm leaving. What do you think of that? Leans across the desk at me. Damn. <laughs> I said, I think you're an idiot. Let's yeah. go to lunch. <laughs> yeah. But that was the end of it. It was over. What was the name of the group? Silverado. 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 Yeah. Damn. But it was, and it was one of those things, you know, yeah, we could have gone and got another singer, but it wouldn't have been that. It, it right. wouldn't have been that dynamic. Yeah. I mean, you know, pull Don Henley out of the Eagles, it just ain't the same. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, for sure. Um, Although it, Glenn Fry's kid does a pretty damn good he job. Does. <laughs> he, he does a, a pretty damn good job. That's for sure. Now, man, thanks so much for coming in. Hey, my out pleasure. With us. Anytime. Um, it's so cool. Again, just this is what happens when you come to Nashville. You just you pop in somewhere and you meet really cool people. <laughs> and it's like Aldine and says. And then you and, meet me. No, no. <laughs> but see, Dude, that was one of the coolest experiences I've had going to Belcourt Tap. Seriously, was is when when you get to just meet people. You don't, you never know who you're going to see. You yeah. never know what you're going to hear. Um, whether it's all different styles and things like that. And we were very lucky to get to enjoy you on that. Uh, I believe it was a Sunday night. It was, it, the was. it was the Nashville it was. Tour Stop. Which shout out to those guys, the, yeah. the boys from the Dirt Road Degenerates, and um, they're awesome. The crew at Belcourt Tap, uh, honestly, are two of the nicest guys I've met in this town. Period. Yeah. How'd you meet those boys real quick? At at Belcourt. Uh I was I was doing a round. I got invited by somebody to do a round with them. And it was on, I guess, their uh the degenerates show. Yeah. And uh yeah, just just met them, you know, just heard them and yeah. met them and nice guys. And they seem to be attracting just the nicest and best talent. Best talent, and there's just so much. There's positive energy. Like yeah. you walk in there, there's good vibes. Well, I mean, who else can pack a room on a Sunday night? <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. Especially I mean, Easter Sunday. Especially even Easter yeah. Sunday right. last night. Eleven o'clock or eleven twenty last night. There were still sixty five people in that bar. Right, which for that bar is 
you know, a lot of people. Yeah. That's a, that's not a big room, but, yeah. but that's that's people because they know they're going to hear great music. Yeah. And, and they just, love the community that's just there. for the people that don't know what Belcourt Taps is. I mean, it's basically a house that's now a bar. You know. Yeah. Like yeah. it's not much bigger than you know a normal a small house. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, like you walk in there and you hope there's not you know more than sixty or seventy people there, or else you can't get to the bar. Yeah. So. Yeah. Now, is there something you'd like to play for us today? Is there a certain song you'd... There's about one? 20 I'd about like to play 20 for you'd you. like to play? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you could narrow it down to just one, what would you like to play for us today, Mr. Uh, Steve? Well, I've got a, a probably my favorite song I've ever written. Really? That's yeah. a big statement. What's it called? It's called Yes It Did, Yes It Does. All right. When did that one uh, pop to you? I actually wrote it in the mid-90s, around the same time I did the uh, uh, Tim McGraw song. Um, but it's just one that just... It's one of those that always, to me, should have got cut. Never did for whatever reason, and uh, it just uh, it meant a lot to me when I wrote it. Still means yeah. you know quite a bit. It it was about it's about the one that got away. And was that a solo write or was that a co-write? It was a co-write. Okay. Um, and his name's I'm blanking on his name okay. right now, but uh, it was back in the day. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Many beers ago. Many beers ago. There you go. <laughs> now, where can people go to find you, find out where you're playing, things like that? Yeah, I have uh, a Facebook page. It's called Steve's Music Room. Awesome. Because nobody can spell Grauberger. Um, <laughs> How do we spell it, by the way? It's G-R-A-U-B-E-R-G-E-R. So right. real quick, I followed that page some time ago, not knowing oh, who did you, you really? were. And I watched a couple of them. And had kind of forgotten about it because my Wednesday nights get busy now. Yeah. And then I saw you and I was like, wait, I know this guy from somewhere. <laughs> and then the next week it popped up and I was like, oh, this is the guy that was a bell court. Oh, that's on awesome. Night. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so I have that. That's where most of my activity is, uh, is on my Facebook page. I've got a website, uh, tnsongwriter.com. Okay. Can't believe I got that, but yeah. I did. Uh, and I just got it a couple of months ago. It's oh, not wow. like something I got back in the day. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that that's the main place. I also have an album that I cut uh, about a year and a half ago. Uh, it's called Songwriter. It's on, okay. on iTunes, uh, Amazon, Spotify, everywhere. But uh, um, I don't think it's on SoundCloud, but other than that. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, so you guys, thank you so much, Steve, for coming on and hanging out with us. Make sure you check out Steve's Music Room. I'm going to pull it up. I'm going to pull it up right when we get done with this and watch some of the videos. I'm going to set them for Wednesday nights. I'm usually not working. Yeah, Wednesday night, 730 uh, Central Time. Central Time. Um, Yeah, I do do a 20-minute concert. Awesome. Most of the time, it's my music. Uh, every once in a while, I'll throw a cover night in, yeah. do some old Beatles or, or whatever. The power of Facebook Live, though, right? Isn't it's it amazing. amazing? It is. I've, I've got. I started it. I don't know, a little over a year ago, and I've got like seventy five hundred fans on the page all over the world. Yeah, that's what's so. And it's cool. just cool. It's such a connector. Yeah, for but I mean, I've got South Africa and and the UK and you know Australia and. Japan and Mexico and it's just, it's just cool. The reach is incredible. And it's I've got you know probably 15 20 that are 
always on there every week You're while, I, while yes. I'm live and they're chatting and we yeah. talk and you know it's just a ton of fun and it, my 20 minute concert usually turns into 30 plus of but course hey what the heck but but there's the community that comes with that in the comment yeah. section and people are sharing it and it's it's cool and, and it's, it's just a ton of fun it, it it's nice to get that instant feedback yes oh absolutely yeah. for sure well, thank you so much for coming on thank and hanging you. out. Make sure you guys, if you enjoyed this one, and I'm, I don't know why you wouldn't, this was an awesome one. <laughs> yeah. Very cool conversation. You are, without a doubt, the guy that's been in Nashville the longest that we've had on, um, and a guy that lived So I'm through. the oldest guy. Oh, I didn't want to say it. I was already that guy at the start of the episode. I didn't want to be that guy at the end. But um, but seriously, thank you for, for taking the time out of your busy schedule. And thank you. And coming on and hanging out with us and to talk about the 90s country scene. That's that's what shapes what we have today. Bye. By the way, first podcast I've ever done. Hey, so. high five. Awesome. Awesome. Very much. <laughs> so thank you. Very grateful we got to do that. Well, Steve's about to pick up that guitar and start playing. Make sure you guys follow along always in the round podcast on Instagram, in the round on Facebook, in the round podcast on YouTube. And um, you can always uh, catch us Spotify, Apple uh, Podcasts, and uh, Google Play. I'm looking to have a stare down with Tyler right now. I don't also, know why I'm doing that. just saying, if you really want to follow some great social media, just a wandering Tyler, W A N D E R I G. And what's your. Just in- Matt Burrill. I think I have three L's. Yeah. On Instagram, if you want to keep up with our personal lives and stuff, that way you can. Uh, we always post what we're doing and stuff. Not yeah. always on the, the in the round page, but we always do on our personal Fla- page. Lots of shenanigans. We had a we had a guy's trip to Florida that I'll tell you about. Off yeah, the air. <laughs> we had some we had some good times. But uh, anyway, without further ado, Steve is going to take over and uh, play us. What was the name of the song again? Yes, it did. Yes, it does. Yes, it did. Yes, it does. Dave Powelson. That was my Dave Powelson song. There it is. Hey, Steve Grauberger, Dave Powelson, original. Yes, it did. Yes, I'm so bad with words. Yes, yes it did. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. Yes, it does. Here it is on In the Round Podcast. If you're wondering if it hurt to hear you say goodbye, yes, it did. Yes, it does And if the picture of you leaving Made me break right down and cry Yes, it did Yes, it does I don't know if it matters After all that we've been through But if by chance you want to know my heart beat for you Yes it did Yes it does What it is Is what it was Then and now You're the only one I can't give you up Cause what we had Meant too much Yes it did Yes, it does. If you're wondering if your memory kept me up at night, yes, it did. Yes, it does. 
If my future looked uncertain Without you by my side Yes it did Yes it does You know I used to love you And I know I always will Cause the moment that you left me My whole world stood still Yes it did, yes it does What it is, is what it was Then and now You're the only one I can't give you up Cause what we had meant too much Yes it did Yes it does Yes it did Yes it does (laughs) 